I'm Elliot Reeves, this is Ian LaBruce, and you're watching The Elliot Reeves Show. Ian, it's great to have you here. How are you? Very well. It's great to be here. As we were talking about earlier, I've had a lot of coffee today. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling that right now. But other than that, really good. Really awesome. good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, it was actually through one of... Well, actually, that's a lie because you, you ran a business called Cappuccino Ads. I did. Yeah. Which um, would suggest that you had an interest in coffee. Mm. But but to, to, to confirm it, I watched mm. one of Gavin Bell's vlogs. Right, yeah. And it yeah. was one where he did sort of tests at various coffee different tour, co yeah. coffee locations. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. W when did your interest in coffee first start? Um, so, I mean, I drank it quite a lot. Uh, and it was when I went to university that it kind of kicked into high gear. I used to love Red Bull a lot and I can't stand it now, but really? um, coffee was the thing that almost got me off of the, the Red Bull addiction, I think. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I just started drinking it at university a lot and I found myself needing it every day. Um, so now it is a proper need, Okay. but it's a need that I'm okay with. In a right, weird way. Okay. It's like my one kind of like vice in life. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, I don't smoke. I don't drink that much. So I think in terms of all the things you can have, I think it's it's pretty all right. So yeah, yeah. I'm all right with that. And then, you know, it, it fits into work quite well because you can have coffee meetings and stuff. I was saying earlier, I had three coffee meetings this morning already. So it fits in quite well with kind of day-to-day -day life. Yeah. I'm going to mm -hmm. go a little deeper then. So what is it specifically about the coffee that you enjoy the most? Um, so there is a real kind of passion that goes into it. So when you go to these specialty coffee shops, I've got some friends that run some of the cafes around Edinburgh and you see how much they actually care about what they do. So they go yeah. off to the farms and they actually create relationships with the farmers and stuff. And I love all of that. I love story. I mean, mm. that's part of why I do what I do. I love story. So when it, whenever they're kind of like telling me about these relationships that they have and the people who actually run the farms, I just love hearing about that. So. Yeah. And then drinking something, like it blows my mind a little bit how much work and effort and passion has gone into that cup of coffee mm -hmm. and bringing it all the way, you know, halfway around the world for me to drink. That still blows my mind even to this day. Yeah. I still can't get over just how crazy some things in the world are and that's one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's just something something I drink every day and yet it came from the other side of the world. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. It is actually. Um, we rarely consider things like that. Mm. Yeah, think about it too hard and you start to <laughs> get a little bit scared about just life and how the world works. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, coffee is it's also just a thing that makes me happy. So if um, if I have like an hour and I want to maybe not do any work for an hour, I'll find myself just naturally wanting to go and sit in a cafe. And, you know, even if I'm just playing a game or watching YouTube or something, I, I prefer doing that in a cafe environment rather mm -hmm. than being either at home or kind of at the office because it's just a good environment people around yeah, yeah. there's something about because i mean gavin is someone and michael ujoa mm -hmm. there's this sort of uh, solopreneur entrepreneurial thing that being in a coffee shop with the aroma mm -hmm. of the coffee the buzz yeah. of the people yeah that makes it quite a nice environment to work yeah, in yeah yeah and a little less uh lonesome than sitting <clears throat> yeah. in your house yeah <laughs> well just as a note i don't know if you know michael is my pt and he's been my pt I've for three that. years so. yeah i didn't yeah, know yeah. i didn't know it was that long yeah but it's, I, been, it's been like three years now so geez. yeah we go way back so yeah i'm a lot more in shape than i was three years ago even though it probably after all the coffee and everything today probably doesn't look it but yeah there's definitely a massive improvement from three years ago so yeah, and yeah. he's, he's the man to 
to thank for that. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. I feel mm-hmm. like I should apologise because we were also saying before we started, I mean, I've got this enormous light dome that I'm not mm-hmm. going to ask you to look at um, <laughs> to give us mm-hmm. this nice glow. Yeah. But uh, you were saying you had laser eye yeah, surgery. Yeah, I had the laser eye surgery last year. So and... it's, it's, I know there's two types, LASIK and... LASIK or yeah. something like that. So I had the I had the the one with an eye in it, LASIK. LASIK. And okay. it's it's the the better of the two options basically. So um it's the one that's properly like invasive and they cut your eye open and all that Jeez. kind of stuff. Um I don't know how gory you want me to get with the details, but okay. So <laughs> Go for um it. I think it's something I've been wanting to get for a while, right? And my eyes finally became stable enough that I was allowed to get it. So your eyes have to be stable for, I think it's over the period of about three years. And my eyes finally were stable What does enough. it mean to be stable? It means just that your eyesight isn't changing over right. time. Okay, okay. So <clears throat> my eyesight, I've been wearing contacts and they've been the same strength, basically, for a couple of years now. So they were like, you are now a prime candidate to get this. Do you want to? <clears throat> so I said uh, yes, right off the bat. And then... I didn't want to think about it too much because it's one of those things that can be quite scary and stuff, I reckon. So I basically uh, I convinced them to give me the first time slot that they had. And it was only seven days after that I kind of first had that question put on me. Um, so it was it was a bit I think it was I think it was Valentine's Day they asked and then I got it done on the 21st of February. So there was literally just Jeez. seven days between them saying it and me saying yes. Uh, put me to the front of the queue. I want it done. I don't want to wait because usually you have to wait kind of four or six weeks. Right. Okay. Um, but I made them just kind of put me at the front of the, the thing, and yeah, it was it was totally worth it. And I advise everyone gets it. Yeah. It's a really good thing to get done. It saves me having to wear contacts every day, which I've done since I was I don't know like thirteen or fourteen or something. I can't even remember. Really? Like most of my life, basically. Um, and I, yeah, fully recommend that everybody gets it done if you, because I don't know what strength you are. And your glasses are kind of part of you, though. This is the thing. Yeah, well, they've kind of become that way, mm. actually. I mean, like, I'm trying to think when I was, my eyesight got quite bad. Um, my parents both wear glasses. My eyesight probably got quite bad around about 1920. Mm. Um, and I've got an astigmatism quite right, bad okay. in my right eye. So okay. it's like, you know, rugby ball eyes. Cur- okay. Yeah. That <laughs> funny makes, curvature. It makes it a wee bit harder, I think, <laughs> yeah. to do all the stuff. Well, but, that's yeah. it. And so. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, I, I don't like the sensation of touching my eye whatsoever. Okay. But getting contact lenses mm-hmm. uh, was a big challenge because of the shape. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just got, like, my first pair of glasses were a Gucci rimless pair that I wore for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of evolved over. But I yeah, like I mean, I, I quite like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, they don't bother me in mm-hmm. any way. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels you know. like it's part of you. A wee yeah. Bit. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Bob, Bob, our creative director, he wears glasses, and he he very much suits them. Mm-hmm. It, it feel it feels a bit odd when when he's not wearing them now. So I think if it's yeah. like you know, if you're a contact wearer and it's a convenience thing mm-hmm. and it just mm-hmm. makes sense, then I get it. But for me, you know, I'm not sure that I would really have mm. strong enough reasons to want yeah. to literally slice yeah. my cornea. I will say if you're um <laughs> if you're a little bit scared about getting it done or anything, don't watch all the videos and stuff beforehand and i'm really glad i didn't i watched it i watched it the day after i got it done and i am so glad i didn't watch that beforehand because it's yeah there were so many things that i think they tell you in the lead up to it because they legally have to tell you what they do and i think i just kind of ignored a lot of it i just didn't want to know so Mm -hmm. i was like this is happening regardless i'll just go with it it's a good attitude but they um yeah there was a few things that when they said it, i was like oh man i forgot they said they had to do that like they put suction cups on your eyes 
so that they can like flatten out the surface a little bit. I forgot that was going to happen. So that's a really weird feeling. It's almost like you see your eyesight kind of like stretching and then it's just darkness. And it's a really odd feeling that you'll never ever have any other time in your life. So, and then you smell it. That's the, that's a thing. You smell, smell like the burning of the laser on your eyes. Yeah. Um, but despite all that, <laughs> it's I think, really good. I think, I think I think the fact that I have watched things, yeah. or I, you know, I, I'm sort of semi-educated mm-hmm. around the process. Yeah. It's probably why I've been like, actually, mm. nah, you're okay. Yeah. And well, I'm going to experience it from the other <laughs> side because I'm Cheryl, my girlfriend's probably going to be getting it sometime really? soon. So. I'm going to see it from the other side and then, you know, looking after her when she's had it done and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're a very easy person to talk to. Oh, well, that's good. I'm enjoying the conversation. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Hmm. You're welcome. Hmm. So, Likewise. like, you know, I'm trying to think when I first would have known who you were. I mean, I, I abandoned my financial services asset management career in late 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to that, I didn't know all that many people in the Edinburgh entrepreneurial mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. But you're certainly one of the the OGs, the original yeah. gangsters. Yeah, so I got to speak. about a little bit, yeah. Um, so uh, I suppose we'll, we'll go back a little bit earlier and bring it up to that. Um, what's your backstory? Like, where are you from? Like, growing up. Okay. Yeah, so, that, all, um, all that stuff. Yeah, I grew up in a little place called Carnoustie. Um, Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I've ah, played, played so, the course. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, I mean, that's pretty much the only thing to do growing up there. So, that's pretty much my life between the ages of about uh, eight or nine and about 17. So, Seriously? yeah, just playing golf a lot. And I, I was lucky that I liked golf because I think if you don't like golf, you're you're in a bit of a sticky situation there. So, um, yeah, outside of kind of playing golf and playing football and stuff, there wasn't a lot to do there. And the nearest kind of big town is Dundee, and that's not the greatest place. So, sorry, anyone watching from Dundee. But, um, I mean, it, it's changed a lot now, I will say that. But yeah. growing up, it wasn't, you know, it didn't have a great reputation. So, hmm. um, there wasn't a huge amount to do there. Um, in terms of, like, amazing parents, amazing upbringing, super, super lucky, feel very privileged to have kind of grown up in that environment and you're have not, parents. You're an only who, child. Only child, mm-hmm. yeah. So um again I had I had a few close friends growing up that almost felt like siblings and that was quite nice. One lived in the street and then one lived just up the road. So that was quite nice in a sense because you kind of had the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um so that was really good. But I had parents that are just incredibly encouraging. So mm. whatever I wanted to do, they were just totally behind me. And it's quite cool that I've seen a lot of kind of entrepreneurial traits in them okay, now yeah. um, that obviously at the time I didn't know what they were doing. But I think a good example, like a, if I wanted to buy something and maybe I didn't have the money to buy it, they would almost like give me the starting money and tell me to go and like spin it up and make the rest and All then right. buy what I wanted to buy. So yeah. that that was the kind of way that they approached things. So they would almost like, they would take a lot of the risk out as well because if I was to fail... I know they would just give me like another pound and start again, whatever it, is, whatever it is. But they gave me that environment where I was allowed to fail. I was allowed to try things. And ultimately, like I find out what I like, what I don't like. And yeah, nice. really good upbringing. And obviously, I'll take a lot of that now that, you know, I'm starting to get to the point in life where I'm thinking about that stuff. So yeah. I'm going to then use a lot of that stuff that I've learned from my parents and I'll, you know, carry yeah, that yeah. forward. So there's there's a knock-on effect there as well. <laughs> For so, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... You went to school there? I did, yep. Currency High, yeah. And what about uh, in terms of a college or university career? I went to Edinburgh Uni. So I, I was only really choosing between um, St Andrews and Edinburgh Uni. They were the only two unis that I was really 
that interested in. Right, okay. Um, I liked St. Andrews because of the location and the uni itself was really good, but then there wasn't much in the way of nightlife and things. Mm-hmm. And again, you'd probably end up having to go to Dundee or something if you wanted you know, a good night out. And then on the flip side, Edinburgh, almost as good university and in a lot of ways better university, um, but the city has so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like developing as a person, it felt like mm-hmm. the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, really glad I came to Edinburgh Uni um, because it's, yeah, I mean, it's a huge part of who I am. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the opportunities that I've had in terms of like both working life and also just the people I've met and everything, that wouldn't necessarily happen in St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know. Mm-hmm. I'd love that thing where you see what would happen Sliding in an alternative doors. life. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'm so glad I came to Edinburgh. I learned so much by coming to a bigger city and kind of almost getting out of that comfort zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because, yes, yeah, St. Andrews very much would have been in my comfort zone. Yeah. And I think by going to a bigger city, you're kind of, yeah, you're pushing yourself a little bit more. So. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Mm. I, I know the answer to the next question, but mm. I'm going to ask for the benefit of anyone listening or watching. Mm. What did you study? Physics. Yeah. So I did physics and then. <laughs> I did my master's in particle physics. As you do. Yeah. Um, so I did I did some of the work, the research work over at the LHC in Geneva. Oh, geez. And that okay. was, um, I did Higgs boson analysis. Is that really? Is that yeah, where the like, so, uh, Hadron particle yeah, accelerator is? Yeah, so I was at the Large Hadron Collider Oof. and the work I was doing was with them um, alongside a couple of other universities. So there was a university in Uppsala in Sweden and mm-hmm. North Carolina over in the States. Uh, and it was the three universities kind of collaborating together. So I was kind of doing that work with with Edinburgh University, and it was amazing. Yeah, I did. So it was Higgs boson analysis, and it was using um, Higgs boson analysis. Yeah. So basically, trying to find the Higgs before it was was found. And uh, what's kind of cool now is that the work that I did that's kind of contributed a little bit towards that. So I've kind of always got that on my CV. If oh I wow! Want. So that's a really cool thing, and it's something that I'll kind of never forget. Um, but I knew, like, I I really enjoyed doing parts. Of physics but i didn't enjoy all of it and i knew when i, I actually did some phd interviews and things and i, I thought i was going to go down that way in life mm-hmm. but there was one day in particular where i knew i didn't want to be doing physics for my life and it was i was down in oxford it was a two-day interview kind of situation and at the end of day one we all went to the pub and we we're all chatting about you know well i was trying to chat about life and football and everything <laughs> but everyone was just chatting about physics physics physics, physics. and I did not fit into that at all. Right. So that, I mean, from that moment on, like that was me almost clicking my fingers and knowing I didn't want to do a PhD because that, it didn't feel like my kind of people. Yeah. Um, And I already felt that in the masters as well, to be honest, because a lot of the people there were so dedicated and so specialized in something. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was really enjoying just learning. So like finding out about the world and, I, I really enjoyed a wide variety of the subjects rather than going super, super deep in one. Yeah. And if you're doing a PhD, you kind of go super, super deep in one. Yes. And that doesn't really appeal to me as a character. I prefer learning about a lot of things and then being able to use that in the real world. So mm. didn't really fit with kind of just the way that my brain worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, another sliding doors. It would have been cool to see yeah. had I gone down a PhD route, what I'd be doing now and stuff. But <clears throat> I think... I think I made a very good choice not to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, yeah, no, no regrets with that decision at all because, 
you know, I'm, I'm here doing what I love. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's an analogy that I really like, and I kind of would use this to describe myself as well, that my knowledge is, you know, it's like a foot deep and a mile wide mm -hmm. as opposed to mm -hmm. a foot wide and a mile deep, exactly which is that. when you specialize yeah. in something that much. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> this is my thing, mm -hmm. but nothing, everything else is kind of off limits. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. hmm. So what was your journey into entrepreneurship if you like yeah well i had quite a fun little journey i guess into yeah. that because i um i finished my exams on a friday and then i actually started working for 4j studios on the monday so i was literally i hadn't even graduated wow. yet and i started doing the work with them because I'd, I'd worked with them on a previous project before uh, a game called perfect dark and that was a really cool kind of summer project between my third and fourth year of uni okay and then they kind of they got this project which turned out to be minecraft the console editions which yeah i didn't know at the time and honestly I, I didn't really know much about minecraft at the time either so kind of crazy how things change over time but um yeah that the kind of offer was there to kind of go and do do that for a little bit and of course I'm going to do that because, yeah, why wouldn't you? Um, yeah. You're a gamer, right? Yeah, I am a gamer and I'm sure that's going to come up a lot because, yeah, it's, it is probably my number one kind of passion in life. Right, okay. um, This is something I was thinking about actually very recently um, when I was on the treadmill. Um, I was just thinking about what makes me happy and stuff mm -hmm. and gaming. I'll come back to it later, but that's definitely, <laughs> it is the thing that's number one on my list. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, so... I then kind of got uh, the offer to basically go and work on uh, GTA Five Rockstar. And again, <laughs> having played and loved previous Grand Theft Auto games, I, I just couldn't say no to it. So when you say work on, were you like a developer? Or... Yeah, so title was actually software developer, but really doing playthrough development. So looking at how the game flowed as a whole, basically, mm. where everything kind of fits into it, um, looking at the bigger picture and just kind of looking at where all the character is, making sure that they don't like get introduced before they're supposed to and all of that and it was it was quite a big project really but then you had 900 people working on it but every one person in there this is the whole thing about not being specific everyone worked on the whole thing because the game has to flow and if you've got 900 people working on specific things it doesn't work you so, need you need everyone to understand the game as a whole so, yeah it was quite cool. You yeah. could pretty much write on the back of a postage stamp what I know about the, <laughs> the back end of game creation. Yeah, okay. So what does it look like in a rock star? Like, what, what's going on there? Yeah, and what are people okay. doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Genuinely, I'm just like... Yeah, so I mean, you've got... At the top end, you've got the designers. So you've got people who are actually writing the story. So they're coming up with the characters and the missions that you're going to play and the things that all the characters do. Mm. Um, below that, well, actually not below, kind of side by that, you've got kind of the artists of the game. So they're the ones who are turning the ideas into a visual reality. So they're the ones who are kind of giving the characters their look and their feel and then the world, because GTA in particular, the world plays a huge part of the game. Um, so they kind of come up with the world that you're in. And then beyond that, um, yeah, you've got so many different people. You've got marketing people who are looking at basically what's going to make the game sell you've got um testers you've got people who are actually making sure that the game works mm -hmm. um and this is one of my biggest bugs with well, bugs is quite an ironic word i've just used there but <laughs> with grand theft auto 4 i thought the game was incredible but i actually thought there was loads of bugs in it and that really bothered me and i said that when i was chatting to the the guys before i went and worked there and i was saying there was a lot of things that bothered me about gta 4 and i kind of went through some examples and they were like 
yep, this is all stuff we've heard before. Like we we know that you understand from that perspective. Yeah. Um, and then it was kind of on us to make sure that that didn't happen with GTA Five as well, because yeah, you can't have a game that's unfinished. And I think when you're when you're looking at these AAA titles, some some of the games are completely unfinished, which is the way that games have kind of gone and i don't like that mm-hmm. so if you look at some of the big game companies like bethesda they they just released um a new fallout game a couple well, last year two years ago mm-hmm. and it was abysmal like it was shocking mm. in every way the game was so unfinished but they had timelines and investors to kind of keep happy and they did the game completely wrong because okay. they were appealing to them and not the gamers and yeah. now a lot of those gamers a lot of those kind of bethesda fans are not going to buy future games that they make so mm-hmm. And then you compare that to some of the the passion projects, the indie games, where you've got teams of like two or three people working on some of these games, and they are incredible. So if you look at Celeste, I'm going to talk about Celeste because it's an incredible game about a girl called Madeline. She climbs up a mountain called Celeste. And underneath what is maybe the best platforming game I've ever played in my life, there's a really deep story about depression and fighting kind of inner challenges and that's kind of what the mountain represents okay yeah and it's i did not expect an experience that deep Mm -hmm. in a game that's so playful and pixel arty and stuff off the bat like when you first see it Mm. um the platform's incredible the game design's incredible and that's only happened because it's a passion project so these people don't have to appeal to anyone. Mm-hmm. They're making a game that they want to make. Mm-hmm. And they're not they're not making a game to make sales. And ironically, it's you know, it sold millions of copies now, but that wasn't the point of making it. The point of making it was to make a really good game. And they did that. Mm. Um mm. and there's another game called Hollow Knight, which I just think is again, it's they're fantastic. These two games are both in my top kind of ten games of all time. And they're both kind of little passion projects. Mm-hmm. And they've got all kinds of like, you know, worldwide critical acclaim because they are so well made and so good Mm -hmm. um but they haven't had to overcome all the issues with pleasing investors and time frames and yeah yeah with hollow knight if something's not ready they'll just keep working on it until it's ready and then release it Mm. because it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. they just want to make the best game possible they don't want to hit time frames and stuff so Mm. some of the best games like ever made in my opinion are the kind of smaller indie passion projects where they have made an incredible piece of art, but they're not kind of having the whole AAA issues. Yeah, and, yeah. And I really do think if you look at some of the best indie games of the last few years and the best AAA games, so many of the best games of the last few years are indie games. And I think if you look at stuff like Dead Cells is a good example, um, and then Hollow Knight and Celeste, which I mentioned, they are outstanding. What makes them so great? Um, It is the... If I take Hollow Knight, I think it's difficult to give an example without someone actually playing the game because you have to really feel the immersion. So with Hollow Knight, there's only a certain amount of things in the game in terms of like wall dashing, kind of super jumps and all that kind of stuff. Um, But they give you multiple ways of solving problems in the game. And they do it without actually teaching you anything new. So it's down to the player to kind of come up with a solution to a problem that they're faced with. Mm-hmm. And there's typically one standard way of doing it. But in reality, there's probably like a dozen ways of solving it. Um, and there are some AAA games which which do this very well. And I think uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is a, a really good example of that, where there's like this little plateau at the start. It's a, it's a tutorial area, essentially. 
but they give you pretty much all of the tools of the game in the tutorial. And then throughout the game, you're just tasked with working out how to use those tools in really creative ways. Okay. Um, and by the end, you're stringing together sequences of half a dozen things that I'll, I'm going to give. I'm just going to give an example. So <laughs> there's a bit where there's like a, a camp of enemies, like a, a boss is kind of underneath you, and you notice that there's space above them, and you think, well, how can I use that space to do something? Mm -hmm. So you can you can kind of go anywhere in in the Legend of Zelda, and you climb you climb up one of the mountains that's nearby, and then I use the bomb. So the bomb's one of these basic items that you've got, and then. There were some enemies nearby which kind of like have these little floating things. Um, kill some of the enemies and take the floating things and attach it to the bomb and then the bomb floats up. Mm -hmm. There are some trees nearby and if you chop them down, you get these like Korok leaves which you can blow and then it blows items away. So you can freeze the bomb, you can float it up in the air, you can blow it away and then it'll float over to the enemy. Then you get your bow and arrow out and you shoot the balloon thing and then the bomb drops and then you explode the bomb. So these are all things that they're typical items. Most players will just have them in their inventory anyway. Mm -hmm. But it requires you to think about the problem at hand and look at what solutions you can come up with. Mm -hmm. And 99.9% .9 of players playing that will not do that. They, they'll they come up with a different solution in a different way. So maybe they go up a different mountain nearby and push a, a boulder over. Or maybe they'll do um, set. So one of the things that's really cool, you can set some grass on fire and that creates an updrift. And then you can use your paraglider to fly up in the air and then shoot bomb arrows okay. down at them. So there's, there's so many different ways that you can approach different situations. Yeah. And they've done it in such a way that the player has complete autonomy over that. So you do literally learn about half a dozen things in the tutorial and then they don't really teach you anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's just down to you as a player to kind of work out mm. things as you go. And it makes you feel like a genius. It's incredible <laughs> game design because even if you didn't think of it the way I did it, you'll think of it another way and you'll feel like a genius for thinking about that. Yeah. And that to me is great game design because mm -hmm. it makes the player really <clears throat> feel like they're in control mm -hmm. and all of the stuff that happens happened because of something that they did. Yeah, yeah. Oops. And I just think that's incredible. Yeah. So indie games are, are often very good at doing that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's usually <laughs> because... It's actually usually because they're forced to, because they don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. So they're often forced to only have several game mechanics rather than 50 game mechanics because they don't have the time and the, the kind of the manpower to test it all. Mm. But often that means that you have to get a lot more creative with the problems that you put in front of people. And that then gives you all kinds of situations. So yeah, it's Breath of the Wild is, is an example of a AAA game which got the game, des game design very, very right. But there's so many AAA games that just they've got it just so wrong yeah. like they're just they're just being made to make money and mm -hmm. you can mm. see that um you know i'm so I'm, I'm kind of talking about like the call of duties of the world at this point so they basically just bash one out every year you know mm -hmm. assassin's creed every year and they're just there to make money yeah they're not really there for a game experience 10 years down the line you're not going to go back and play that seventh assassin's creed game <laughs> it's just yeah. whereas i think breath of the wild 10 years 20 years down the line people i still think will say that that's one of the best games of all time mm -hmm. because it did something so right. So, how, how many hours a week do you spend gaming? Do you think? Um, it, uh, that obviously varies quite a lot uh, depending on what I'm doing and how busy everything is in life. I guess so. Um, I I probably average like maybe two hours a day. I reckon. Okay. So yeah, my average is probably about fourteen hours a week. But then, I've definitely had weeks where I've played games for like forty hours. Um. Like if I've I went I went to Stockholm uh, back in March for mm -hmm. a week 
And I, I spent a lot of that week just sitting in cafes playing games. And it was just, yeah, I love doing that. Um, but then obviously when time is at a premium and I don't have much of it, I go whole days without playing. And that I, I don't like that because then I don't feel like it's actually me. Yeah, I like to have my downtime. Um, and I, I like to make sure that I've got some time to do the things that I want to do. And I actually try and book that into my calendar if possible. So sessions with Mitch, for example, mm-hmm. um, I used to do a lot of yoga. So I'm a member at Tribe and I kind of go along to a lot of yoga class and things. Mm-hmm. And I make sure to put that in my calendar and then I'll put meetings and stuff around that. Mm. That's kind of changed a bit with work now and I'm, you know, having to manage other people and stuff. So that's kind of, it does take up more time. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those things are now kind of a luxury rather than just a day-to-day thing but yeah, yeah. i do make sure to take time out of my day and even if it's just while i'm having lunch you know i'll take the switch out of my bag and i'll play a game for an hour and yeah. then get back to work again so <laughs> yeah you've got to make sure that you do the things you enjoy in life otherwise you know what's the point definitely so yeah yeah mm. i'm getting fascinated as to like clearly you're a passionate and kind of mm. hardcore gamer mm. um and you worked in gaming companies mm. but why don't you know like what happened what took you off course honestly i want to play I want to play games and I want that to be my hobby. Yeah. I find myself getting so deep into uh, the games that I was working on that I was becoming so focused on how to make it better and focusing on almost the negatives and not actually enjoying it as a game. Mm. And the downside of also working on games is that you end up spending half your working time playing the games. And then when you go home, you're not as inclined to actually play other games. And it's just a natural thing because if you've sat with a controller in your hands all day, you don't want to go home and just instantly put another controller in your hands. So yeah. I want to make sure that it's a fun thing, okay, but not um, not what I'm doing all day, every day. And if we were to get some clients in the video game world, I would love that mm-hmm. because I'd get to go in and do one of the things I'm very good at in an environment and in a sector that I know a lot about. So mm-hmm. in terms of work, that's where I can see a healthy balance. But I wouldn't want to just go and sit and work in a game company anymore. I think that's, if it was the right position, then of course I'm, th- there is a possibility. But I feel like I want it to be something I do for fun. And I don't want it to become a chore. Yeah. And also, yeah. if I, I've got a lot of games that I started and not finished. Because, again, time is, time is short right now. So mm-hmm. if I've got, it sounds crazy given that I'm spending two hours a day playing games, but... <laughs> In in a, in an ideal world, I'd love to spend all my time. <laughs> yeah, you know? precisely. Um, so if I've only got two hours a day where I'm playing games, and again, I know that sounds crazy because two hours is quite a lot of time, but there are so many games that I have to just not play because I just don't have the time to play them. Yeah. Um. So there's games that I'll start, I'll do an hour, and I'll think, nah, and I'll just move on to the next one. So I do have a mm. shelf full of games that I've not really played. Um. But, you know, sometimes you'll play a game, and Hollow Knight was one of them, actually, where... I played an hour and I was just blown away. And I was like, nope, nope, that's the rest of my month gone. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to play that all day, every day if I can. So um, sometimes in that kind of first hour of playing a game, you just it just hits you. And yeah. it's hard to put a, kind of put words in, on what that actually is. Yes. But um, yeah, Breath of the Wild did it. Um, Celeste did it. Hollow Knight did it. And then a couple of other games recently, a game called Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did it. Okay. Um so that that was a game that I did uh, completely in French as well. So half of my games I play in English, half of my games I play in French. And the more story-driven games where there's a lot of words on the screen, mm-hmm. I tend to play them in French because that's when I learn vocabulary. Okay. Um, and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is 
I mean, I've spent some... It's quite nice because my Switch tells me exactly how long I've spent playing the games. So I've put 215 hours into that. Okay. And as you, you can imagine that in a game that big with so many words, you're bound to learn a whole kind of bunch of new vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in my phone, I've got notes and there's probably about 500 words that are so kind of out there. Mm-hmm. Um, because hmm. I must know about 99% of, you know, French words by this point. But then a game that deep when you're, yeah. you know, 215 hours worth, yes. you're bound to still find some stuff. Yeah. And it's often, it's a lot of the sayings. So the characters have different styles and a lot of them are quite chatty. And mm-hmm. and you start to learn some just different ways of speaking and a lot of kind of slang and things. And that's yeah, what I really like. Yeah. Yes, yeah, you get little idioms and stuff that are yes. just crazy. And yeah. they're really cool. So... <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I deeply admire your passion for games, mm. but I struggle to relate to it. Like, genuinely, my gaming career has basically been like John Olumu rugby, mm. yeah. um, Tiger Woods golf, yeah, yeah, bit of Grand Theft and a bit mm. of Guitar Hero. Mm. Um, but like, I don't know. I think it's perhaps the way that my my mind works is that I just struggle to get into the whole immersive mm. thing because mm. I just. I'm very logical Mm -hmm. and kind of grounded in reality. So the sort of escapism thing, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, but it's it's a game. I can't see beyond that. Okay. You know, if your brain works in such Mm -hmm. a way that you can actually, you know, go into the game and just get totally, as you say, immersed is a good word to describe it. And a game like Breath of the Wild, you you absolutely get immersed. You're the character. You are the character. You're Link. And (laughs) you're thinking to be able to, to play that game optimally in terms of like to get the most out of the game you really do have to take your head out of the real world and put it in the game because if you can't think about the laws of the game when Mm -hmm. you're playing it you won't think about some of the crazy things that you can do and often that's the most satisfying things because it's when you've thought so much out the box and you've done something so crazy and it works you feel like a god you feel amazing yeah um Actually, I tell a bit of a lie mm. because I had virtually every single games console you could have up until maybe the age of about twenty-five. So, okay, <laughs> like, what were your favorite games? What were like, oh, your man, like I remember games? when I was a kid, I had like the first generation Game Boy, mm-hmm. Atari Lynx. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think what like I had Sega, Master System, Mega Drive, mm-hmm. Mega CD. Oh, I'm trying to think of what them, man. I did, man, consoles, I did, yeah. I did. Like the Sega. I'm trying to think what the handheld device was called back then. I can't even remember. Should know that. Uh, there was like then, the Mega CD at one point. Yeah, I had it, that because it was like Jaguar XG220. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like horror game. I can't remember what it was called. That mm. was really cool. So mm. no, I, I actually am. Um, you know, go and get a Switch. Go and play Breath of the Wild and okay. just tell me what yeah. you think. Honestly, I think give it the first. Like, do de- the tutorial. And yeah, I I guarantee you'll want to play the rest. Okay. As simple game as that. Just give come it, a long way. Yeah, yeah. Just and in give terms it the of tutorial how real it will look compared to how it was even in the last probably mm. what, five mm-hmm. ten years yeah crazy yeah. so yeah yeah okay <laughs> i mean they are an art form if you look at yeah. like so red dead i red dead redemption 2 i thought it was okay in a lot of ways it's maybe one of the most cinematograph cinematographic cinema cinematic let's cinematic. go with that is that the right word Cin- yeah let's go with yeah, that yeah, it's yeah. probably one of the most cinematic games i've ever seen ever um, it feels like a story. It feels like a film, and you're playing it basically. Mm. Um, and that's incredible that they they have the power to do that. Yeah. But then in terms of the gameplay, it just it just didn't suck me in at all. You know, you're sitting on a horse for hours, and <laughs> it's just a bit. I don't know. I've been spoiled by some of the other kind yeah. of games where it's just action, action, action. And now some of these cinematic games, I think maybe 
I don't know. Some of them are really good, but then there are games like Red Dead where it's just too much of one thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of not not really for me. But mm. Mm. <laughs> play Breath of the Wild. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one into... thing I'm going to leave you with, just <laughs> okay. play Breath of the Wild. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. What was the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey? Oh yeah, we were talking about that. We yeah. were. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I did. I mean, I worked in the in the games, and then um, I met obviously an amazing guy called Chris Vanderkyle, who is one of probably the best entrepreneurs in the country. Honestly, the guy is incredible. Um, and off of the back of meeting him and a guy called Jim Duffy, mm. who was starting up a thing called eSpark when mm. I met him, <laughs> um, I kind of got the bug to go and I just wanted to start a business. It just felt like a logical progression in life. Take on a bit more responsibility learn how to have, you know, a team or at least a member of staff and learn about things like taxes and investment. And it all seemed like this alien world and I just wanted to jump in. So I did. Hmm. Um, so I spoke to Jim and uh, his colleague, Lucy Rose, and they kind of, um, they they invited us along to be part of that first intake in eSpark. Were you the first the very ever first, Yeah, we were the very first one. Unbelievable. Yeah. So we were part with, um, you know, Callie Russell from Malsey and, Leah Hutchin from Appointed and oh, all these amazing wow. people in that kind of first intake, yeah. Um, That's crazy. And so many of them are... St- when was that? I want to say 20... End of 2012. Yeah. Huh. Because I started Cap Ads in March 2013 and I had Click Study for three months before that. So it must have been about December 2012. Okay. Um, and I, I started a business kind of just out of that wanting to learn, basically. So it was an online platform for school kids to revise for their exams. And I don't like reading too much when I like reading for pleasure. I don't like reading too much when it's a necessity. So mm-hmm. I would rather learn from videos and you know, quizzes and games Absolutely. and interactivity, basically. Yeah. If I can 100%. listen to a podcast while I'm at the gym, I'll take that in so much more than if I'm reading a book somewhere. So mm. that's what I wanted to do. But then, man, I learned so quickly that I was out my depth in that because I... I Jim put me in front of investors down in London um, and I was only maybe like two months into this idea at the time. So I was still very early on and I was just by myself and I was basically a big kid as well. So um, (laughs) I was in front of these investors asking them for money and telling them this idea and they tore me to pieces, but in an incredible way. So Mm -hmm. they were telling me that I'm already up against worldwide leaders. I don't have a team around me. They also, because I was pitching for, I think about like a hundred grand, 120 grand. And they were like, even just to get you to the next step which is a tiny step it was going to require like at least a million Mm -hmm. like at least that kind of seven figure mark to get to the next step and i was just like whoa i'm not right right that's not quite there yet um so i learned a lot in that process and they in terms of like the business plan and everything they tore it to shreds but in a really good way because they're they really saw a lot of potential in what i was doing and, and the way that i operated myself and I was clearly, I clearly cared a lot about what I was doing and they, they could see that. Yeah. So a few of them, they, they, you know, bless them. They spent a lot of their time just telling me what I could have done better and what I did wrong and um, to be more optimistic in my numbers, all that kind of stuff. And then I went back and ended up pitching to some of those guys later. And that was a journey that, yeah, I was so far out of my comfort zone. Um, and that was Jim that kind of set that up. So, you know, props to Jim Duffy because he, he did that um he put he put us in front of angels den and we wouldn't have yeah i wouldn't have known them if it wasn't for 
not not at that stage anyway you know mm-hmm. that, that might have taken a year whereas mm. with with jim kind of pushing me it took like two months so crazy fast but i learned so much mm. uh, and then i was sitting in cafes thinking about what i wanted to do as a second business idea <laughs> okay. and i was with um one of my best friends and we were we were looking around and we did a thing where we tried to put a hundred ideas on a page <laughs> and some of them were so bad but one of the things that we ended up putting down on paper was we noticed that we were in Peter's Yard and uh, it's now owned by Soderberg, but we were in Peter's Yard and we were looking at the coffee cups they were using, right? And the takeaway ones, they were really low quality. And I mean like crap. <laughs> and they we asked them all about it and stuff. And bear in mind, this is 2012, 2013, very early. So this is a long time ago. The world's changed a lot. But they were they were all just bulk, you know, bulk bought, shipped in from China. All of the kind of stuff that goes alongside that was not environmentally friendly um so we came up with the idea just replacing mull with locally sourced completely compostable alternatives hmm. um and then to do that we decided why not get people to pay for the space on the outside of them mm-hmm. so that was essentially what we did we got advertisers to pay for the space and that allowed them to get their brand kind of in the hands of their targeted demographics yeah and then we gave the coffee shops kind of all the cups for free and that was an incentive for them to take it because we were really struggling with the idea of how do we get these cups in the cafes in the first place because they've probably already got relationships with suppliers and stuff Mm -hmm. and for them to take something that's branded by someone else that's going to be tricky so give them away for free Mm. and we were the only ones doing it so they were they were quite happy so we ended up getting 300 coffee shops kind of signed up to this and then because everything's completely compostable and environmentally friendly great for an environment well, so we kind of we kind of stumbled upon a, a business model which was win 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 yeah everyone in that kind of line benefited and that doesn't happen very often business so yeah. we kind of stumbled upon that and then well yeah we, we ran with it basically so i learned a lot in that very early stage so there was one there was one key thing that really kind of pushed us forward um there was a girl that went missing uh, an edinburgh uni student mm-hmm and it was one of those things where I was like, I just want to do anything I can, basically, to help. So I put her face on the cups, printed out thousands of cups, and put them in like all the independent coffee shops in oh Edinburgh. Oh my god, really? And off the back of that, obviously, we ended up getting a lot of kind of media coverage and stuff. And that, you know, that was not the point. The point mm-hmm. was to actually see if we can do something to help find this, find this girl. We were in a position where we could help, so we did something. Um, and that kind of in terms of the business it took us up a level because um we had a lot of um so social bite put us well they, they did the scottish business awards mm-hmm. they put us up for an award kind of off of the back of it hmm. and then off of the back of that there was like the national business awards and like it was like gp entrepreneur awards and all these things down in london they all saw that and they were like yeah we need to get these guys to come and like you know, come to our awards and everything as well because they've done something that was yeah. very different. Okay. And that kind of got us seen by a lot of different people. And that that was what took the business kind of up to the next level, mm-hmm. um, which kind of goes to show good karma. That probably does exist in some capacity because yeah. doing something completely for a non-business purpose ended up being probably the thing that took us up the most in business. So yeah. it, it can it can work like that. But... Um, yeah that was that was kind of what happened but then i find myself over time getting more interested kind of in other people's businesses to be honest so i was sitting on the board uh, of another company and i really liked what they did 
but I saw a lot of gaps in the way that they were running the business. So I ended up going into that business as a marketing director. So I still had calf ads kind of running on the side, mm-hmm. but I went into I went into this business as marketing director. And then I kind of went in with a year plan. So it was like, we'll go in for a year, we'll do this. I say, we, I went in for a year, I did that stuff. And then off the back of that, I ended up doing it for another company down in London. And they're kind of a software company in the construction industry. So again, I got to kind of use a lot of the skills that I developed through other things in a sector that really I knew nothing about. Yeah. But again, the amount of stuff I learned in both of those processes, it it made me just want to go and just do that for a living. Okay, because yeah. it's so fascinating getting to the heart of why a business does what they do, mm-hmm. but also getting to the heart of their problems mm-hmm. and actually coming up with creative solutions to those problems. I just love doing that. So that's mm. what gets me out of bed, basically. That's the thing that, that drives me on and it's the thing that I enjoy doing as work every day. And often it doesn't feel like work because you're just getting to have a bit of fun in, a, in someone else's business and kind of looking at problems that they have in ways that they probably haven't looked at it before. Yes, yeah, definitely. I love doing that. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's great fun. Um, and now, I mean, with, with Ignite, so we, we do that in such a range of businesses, you know, mm. from law firms to insurance companies to care homes, like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of experiential stuff. There's a lot of property stuff, but... It's quite funny because a lot of the problems always come down to the same kind of things. Yeah. So even though when you first kind of ask them what their problems are, they might mm-hmm. come out with different answers. Mm-hmm. When you look at the kind of the causes and the symptoms and all of that, they're often coming down to the same kind of things, which is, yeah, it's quite fascinating how that how that all kind of works. So I'm starting to get quite good at finding out what the solution to the problem is quite quickly yes uh, and that's something that you only get just by doing this Experience, so much yeah, yeah. yeah um you start to see patterns and you start to see things and and then you'll say oh have you tried this have you thought about this and often they'll go oh shit yeah that's something we should have done and that's that's it's it's often just that getting that outside yeah. perspective and having someone come in fresh and yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come mm. back to Ignite. Mm. I'm just uh, curious to know because I, I know that you worked in Desk Union yeah, when yeah, that yeah. existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Desk <laughs> what, what Union was, that was like? I mean, it was amazing co-working space. So yeah. I met th- I met Victoria through eSpark. So she was also in eSpark for a while. And um, when we were kind of graduating from the eSpark space, uh-huh. um, so we were there. We were there for like two years, actually, cause, because we were in that first intake. They wanted to kind of keep a lot of us on to kind of uh. keep going partly because they needed good things for the numbers in terms of increasing of staff and raising investment, yeah. but also because it means that then we can impart what we'd learned to the new batches as well. Oh, nice. And at the time, it was yearly intakes, whereas now it's six months, so it has changed a little bit. But mm-hmm. we were in that process where at the end of two years, there was lots of businesses in eSpark that we wanted to branch out. We wanted to go into the city centre, and Victoria set up that space kind of in uh, St. Andrew's Square, so above the above RBS, yeah. and it's... What a space. Yeah. I mean, it feels like your living room. So <laughs> um, what a space. And we felt really privileged to be in there. But what a good group of people to be around. Mm. Um, to have all of these kind of entrepreneurs at a very similar stage in business as you, it meant that whenever you had a problem, you had 30 people around that could potentially provide a solution to your problem. And having that environment and having, yeah, there's so many people around with such good energy and passion for what they were doing. Yeah. That's vital. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so good. Um, yeah. So we stayed there for pretty much the whole time it was open, actually. It was it was there for about a year, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And we were there for pretty much that whole that whole period. And 
you know, through that process became really close with certain people who, you know, I'm still really good friends with now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. really good process to be part of. Yeah. And Victoria's kind of still smashing it with life and yeah, she's had a kid and everything. So yeah. 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 It's good. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing well. It's funny seeing how a lot of the people that existed within that mm. have, have evolved mm-hmm. over the, yeah. the time. You know? It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I meant to mention as well, because you were, I believe, uh, on the board of Castor Spice. Yeah, so CST. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, a kind of little. Um, so basically, for anyone that doesn't know, Selby Carey um, is was also running a business very like Cappuccino Ads with mm-hmm. the help. It's now helping cups, I believe, but it was helping hands cups. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. coffee shops so that's with... why we met it's probably no surprise to <laughs> yeah you i think that. he reached out to yeah. you probably to yeah yeah he, we did and we ended up ironically meeting also in peter's yard where i've kind of first set it up so we met there and we had a chat <laughs> so michael as well i don't know if you met michael, yeah yeah, michael yeah. McDonald, yeah yeah so we we met and we had we had that chat and we looked at what we could potentially be doing together and really we were sitting down and talking about our passions and what we cared about and what we loved mm. and one of the things that was coming up was trying to use technology for good. And then we ended up, um, they already had some ideas. I kind of brought some different ideas to the table and things. Um, and yeah, that's still going strong. And they've been, they were pitching in some like Vienna or something this week and yeah, they're doing, they're doing well. So it's quite nice to be part of that journey. And, um, yeah, obviously whenever I can help out, I'm going to help out. And yeah. it's quite cool just seeing something from, uh, from a different perspective, but yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, Owning a little bit of that is just like a nice little side thing, and then I can kind of help them when when necessary. Sure, but, sure, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of potential for it. Mm, mm-hmm. a huge amount of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you can imagine, it's evolved a lot since kind of the two years ago. I think we started speaking about it, and in those two years, there's a lot of kind of change with with how it it looks as a device itself, mm-hmm. uh, and it, even its purpose has changed. So yeah. yeah, are you still involved with that business? Are you? Yeah, yeah. So I'm still. Oh, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I still, I still own a wee bit. So from that perspective, yeah, I obviously want to see it do really yeah, well yeah. from a business perspective. But also, I love the guys. Mm-hmm. So even just from that perspective, if I can do anything to help, yeah, I will. Within reason, I will probably do. So hmm. yeah, oh, one a, a guy who I was really good friends with growing up and went mm-hmm. to school with, um, seems to now be involved in the business as well. Cameron Bell. Oh, so I don't know. So I only really know Selby and Michael. Um, okay. There was a guy called Craig came in for a little bit. Yeah. Kind of met him a few times. Um, but I don't kind of work from the same space or anything. Got so, you. um, I know that there's about eight or nine of them in Is total really? who kind of do different things in the business. Wow. Um, I'm not sure how many full time. I think maybe like three or four. But mm-hmm. in terms of like Selby and Michael, yeah. Where do you see it going? I can't talk about that. Interesting. <laughs> there's um, it's definitely <laughs> in the. In the security space, that's where I kind of see its main use being. Yeah. Um, it's very exciting. That's all I'll say. Right. But I think I, I, from what I know of kind of Selby and Michael where they're at, I think they're going to be talking a bit about the next stage pretty soon. So when that's okay. kind of out, I'll go and shout about it to everyone. But cool. we're not quite there yet. Okay. So Yeah. We'll yeah, see. No we'll problems. see what they come out with. But. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. So ignite your brand. I mm. mean, when did that all? come about and uh what was yeah well it's been it's been a fascinating little journey actually because the business for anyone who doesn't know it's 21 years old now (laughs) so it's quite an old business you know it's pretty much as old as i am so um yeah it's it's it it was at an interesting point where they were pretty much doing the same and being the same size for about 15 years in a row and as i started to chat to so george and bob are the two founders and they're both still kind of around in different capacities 
Um, but I started to chat to them a little bit about where they wanted to take it, what they were doing. And it was very evident that George was wanting to kind of focus on other things in his life. So he's got little investments. His son's got a business, which is really exciting. And he wants to kind of help him out a bit. So I know that he wanted to kind of take his foot off the accelerator a little bit, but he kind of needed someone to come in and put their foot on the accelerator. Okay. Otherwise, the business just wouldn't stay the same, basically. Yes. So yeah. we saw an opportunity there and it kind of fit for all parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came in and that's kind of what we did. So I came in as marketing director initially, really with a view the whole time to kind of take the managing director role over and, and move it forward. But I think I was, I was telling you before, actually, that that happened a lot sooner than expected really okay. <laughs> um so that brought its own challenges kind of juggling mm-hmm. a couple of jobs at the same time really but yeah um it's all good because it's it's a learning process yeah. and again had i not done that i wouldn't have learned a whole bunch of stuff which i can now now use right now but also in future life as well so absolutely um well, so what does your current role entail then <laughs> what doesn't it entail <laughs> yeah i find it very difficult to even say i think We've got very loose roles and responsibilities kind of outlined really? for each for each kind of person and what we're kind of doing in the business. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not structured enough. It's one thing that we have to work on for sure. It's one thing that I need to work on in sense of just writing it down and saying, guys, yeah, might not be completely happy with this, but this is probably the way that we need to do it. Because otherwise processes start to get messy and yeah. there is there is a kind of a this is maybe where I get quite deep in terms of information, but there's definitely ways that the business has operated as it would, you know, a business that's been going 20 years. Of course, it's going to be going a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I was to come in and just start a brand new business, hmm. so many of the things, the way that it's done, I wouldn't do it the way it's currently being done. Yeah. And that's where it maybe takes that taking a step back and actually saying, right, well, you know, should we be doing that in that way at all? Maybe, maybe let's just use this because there's a lot of tools out there now as well, which can kind of streamline a lot of the processes that we have in place. Yeah. So, you know, even just using Slack for certain things might make a massive difference. Mm. So what's it they say the most yeah. dangerous words in business are um that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Sort of paraphrasing. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the business feels that way because, you know, it's 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 been it's been profitable for so long mm. and it's well, almost it's like, like if it don't if it isn't totally broke exactly you know, if that. it does work yeah, exactly then that. just keep keep doing it so that's whereas why, it could really probably be optimized yeah that's yeah. why certain things are being run in a certain way yeah and i am taking that approach of right well what would happen if we were just to start afresh and just almost imagine it as ignite 2.0 hmm. how would it look mm-hmm. and i've been doing the whole uh the whole like looking back at myers-briggs and looking at belbin kind of team roles and mm-hmm. i i am looking at it with a fresh perspective and i've been speaking to a couple of close friends who are at a similar point with their businesses and all that kind of stuff and maybe look at bringing them in there's there's all kinds of options kind of on the table at the moment so mm. we're, we're exploring a lot of different options but i've got a couple of people alongside me in this journey which is really good actually because it means that I it, well, firstly, it holds me accountable, which yeah. is really good, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that I'll say is really important in business. Um, otherwise, you might just go completely off in the wrong direction, and if you don't have anyone kind of like saying why are you doing that, sometimes you're so in so in it that you just don't see it. Um, but having those people beside you keeps you accountable, but also they've got different skill sets, they've got different experience, yeah, and it means that they can point things out that I might not have seen before. So, um. Yeah, one of one of the guys. I, I, yeah, I'll say his name, Andy. Um, I don't know if you've met him. He's got a little studio called Ido. 
really good, really kind of clever and switched on, but someone that I value the kind of viewpoint of a lot. And then there's another girl called Natalia who, um, man, we, we met at this really bizarre thing about, oh, maybe like five years ago, six years ago, we were in Manchester and it mm-hmm. was run by UKTI. And it was, I think the whole point of it was to encourage um, entrepreneurs from abroad to come and start their businesses in the UK. And given that she's got a Greek surname and I have kind of a bit of a French surname, <laughs> yeah. I think we, we we were looking around and we were like, there's a lot of people here speaking Spanish and stuff. It, we didn't really feel like we were fitting in there, but I think that's probably what it was. They kind of looked at the names and thought, oh, they'd probably, why not? Mm-hmm. So anyway, we did this and it was a fully paid week and it was uh, an incredible experience. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but it was about that. Um, and we, we got to go to Old Trafford and we got to do all oh, kinds wow. of stuff that yeah. you wouldn't normally get to do. Um, and we went to BBC kind of in, in Salford and Media City and do a whole bunch of stuff there, which again, you know, most people just don't get the, the opportunity to do. And because it was all funded by UKTI, because they really want people to come and start businesses in the UK, mm-hmm. they were really pulling out all the stops. But So it was it was a really good experience. Um, and we've kept in touch since then. Um, she's got her own thing. She's living in Spain at the moment, but she's, you know, a few options on the table and that could be the way we go. Mm-hmm. So bringing in a couple of people who have experience and are really passionate about what they do, mm-hmm. but really just trying to find out which way we end up wanting to take it. Cause there's, yeah. we're at that point where there's a lot of options on the table. Um, hmm. uh, it's exciting though. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's natural with any, any business that kind of at this, at this point in its life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll stop there rather than okay. going too, too in depth. I, I was going to <laughs> jump in and dig I was yourself, like, dig yourself a hole. Yeah, I was gonna, I was out. gonna be like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go in that deep. But, <laughs> That's fine, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate you talking mm. about it. Mm. Um, we spoke at an event not too long ago. Um, yeah, a creative events conference. Mm. You mentioned that you had three mentors. Mm. So yeah. Chris van der Kuyl, who you mentioned, yeah. Jim Duffy, and yeah. I'm going to do the other person I used to service because I can't actually remember who <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, well, but... it's Colin from Shoe. So yeah. I've got, um, bigger than that, though, it's actually kind of a range of almost like advisors and mentors, and there's there's people around. So I don't know if you've come across Tino Nombro from Amber Green, but he is someone who grew a business in the same space that we're in sold it to the DAC group and he's got a lot of experience and he's someone that's very good to kind of go and ask for advice. Okay. Um, and another person's Tony Jarvis. So he, he's one of the directors of Mediacom again, kind of living and breathing what I do, but he's got 20 years plus more experience than I do. Mm. So, um, being able to go to people like that. And then obviously like Chris and Jim, who you mentioned, um, and I will say actually around, around Chris, it's, it's not just Chris, but it's entrepreneurial Scotland. And I'll say Sandy Kennedy as well is yeah. incredible for this because they they really care about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a problem and you go to them and just say, this is something I don't know how to deal with. Yeah. Someone like Sandy will just actually sit down with you and go, okay, tell me all the details. Here are maybe some options. These are pros and cons. And, you know, I, w- I will uh, say a lot of good things about Entrepreneurial Scotland because it's, Oh, it's one hell of an organization. And I feel like I'm biased because Ignite created Entrepreneurial Scotland so that we've got that little background. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So they were Entrepreneurial Exchange and then 
they actually came to Ignite oh. and we did the whole rebrand and all the visual identity and everything. So all the taglines and everything, kind of everything you see, that was us. So, Seriously? Yeah. So that was Bob, <laughs> our creative director that did most of that. So, oh. so I'm biased and I'm also, I also sit on the regional board. So again, biased there, but... <laughs> It's, don't listen to anything he says <laughs> but it's just the most incredible group of inspiring people uh-huh. um and between all of the members you've got pretty much someone who's encountered every problem in yeah. business you can imagine yeah um so being able to go into that pool of knowledge mm. and you've got i actually said this at the conference because it's really important to get people who know you really well Mm-hmm. And then as a separate group, people who know your business really well. Mm-hmm. And then some people who are kind of in the middle mm-hmm. so that you get viewpoints from both sides. Yeah. Because sometimes you've got problems that are very personal and you don't want the business side to kick in. But then on vice versa, you've got problems that are very business orientated and you almost want to just keep emotions completely out of it. Uh, and it's good to have kind of like mentors or, or just kind of advisors. I'm starting to just think of people as like friends. Friends. Or just... yeah. One one of the people um, I know you actually spoke to yesterday, Andrew Dobby. Mm-hmm. So great guy, really great guy. Known him about six or seven years, and kind of running a similar style of business. Again, having someone like that who you can just call up and be like, "Dude, what the hell do I do here?" Yeah, that's incredibly valuable. Um, huh. And it, it's it's refreshing actually because to some extent we are competitors. Mm-hmm. And taking Andrew as an example here, and yet it's just a friendly thing and there's there's actually been times in my life where i've actually recommended his business to people because i love what they do so much yeah and i think that's a really interesting place to be in life Mm -hmm. and it kind of goes against a lot of common sense with business but i've actually had it with white space as well i think they're brilliant at what they do and the team that are there are incredible and Mm. yet they're technically competition so um it's an interesting point to be at in life where you can kind of give plaudits to your competition so so easily but mm-hmm. i don't know i like it it's just it says a, a lot about the well. people yeah 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 it says about a lot about yourself that mm. you have a willingness to do that yeah rather than be like yeah. protective over... you would also hope that if it was like the other way around you know if something yeah. if something came up to do with you know gaming or something that i mm-hmm. clearly know a lot about Andrew would point them in the direction of me as well. So you kind of hope that it does work two ways. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> but yeah, of course, it's, yeah. As long as everyone's friendly, you're all kind of going up together rather than bringing other people yeah, down. Yeah. So, yeah. so, I mean, I've, I've interviewed Sandy Kennedy in mm. the past um, mm. and he mentioned um, joining Entrepreneurial Scotland. Mm-hmm. And I put my hands up, I haven't yet, but um, it's definitely something that I'm, mm. I've like given thoughts to Yep. And I could probably quite easily be talked into it. So yeah. what would be the advantages of doing that? So a massive network, first and foremost. Um, like I said, you've got people around who have probably encountered every problem that you're ever going to have. Mm-hmm. So that's so valuable. And you can't really put a price on that. Mm. Um, the events are incredible. So I, I go to the conference every year up in Glen Eagles. Glen Eagles are also a past client of ours. So mm-hmm. um, it's quite nice going up and doing like both the work and the conference at the yeah, same time. Yeah. Um, but I go to that every year. So I've been five years maybe in a row, maybe six. Um, and that's one day that I kind of keep bookmarked in my calendar every year. Mm. And there's not many days in my calendar where I keep like a whole day and I do nothing else on that day. You know, you've got Christmas, you've got mm. girlfriend's mm. birthday, mm. Yeah. and then you've got <laughs> Entrepreneurial Scotland Conference. That's yeah. kind of the three days um, where they're like, yeah, a priority to not do anything else. Um 
and yeah, I mean, as a network, so I'm I'm part of a lot of networks, as, as you probably do know, um, and I'm part of them for different reasons. So mm-hmm. I'm a part of the Marketing Society for very different reasons to Entrepreneurial Scotland. So mm-hmm. the Marketing Society gives me access to a lot of people who really know a lot about different areas of marketing, mm-hmm. and that's kind of common sense, but... What I mean is a lot of the members have that really specific, deep knowledge. Yeah. I know a lot about marketing, but I, I've got quite a wide range in terms of my knowledge and skill set. Mm-hmm. There's people who are members who have a very deep knowledge of very specific things. Yeah. And that's quite good to have kind of to hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm a member of the IUD for a completely different reason to that. That's purely for personal development for me. Right. So okay. I'm there because they've got events where they'll talk about this is how you do this, you know. And sometimes it can be something like, um, I did one that was about cash flow, for example. Um, but that was purely for personal development. I went there just to learn, really. And that one in particular, I probably didn't learn much about. But they've got events where you do you do learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm a member of the IOD. Mm. And then the RSE is a completely different kettle of fish as mm. well. So I'm a, a member of the Young Academy of Scotland. And that's kind of a passion thing because... That's matching up academia with kind of enterprise mm-hmm. and everything in between, like politics. And so we often will go down to Scottish, you know, the Parliament building and we'll do some stuff there. And that gives me access to some contacts in a network that I would never normally have. Yeah. So again, there is a bit of a selfish personal development in there. But really, I'm there because we do some awesome projects. So there's a project called Research the Headlines, which is finding the the real news behind the headlines there's a a thing called the lego league where they go into schools and you make robots and you play football with them and there's all kinds of awesome things going on in the young academy that mm-hmm. it means that you get to do things that you would just never normally do in your day-to-day life yeah um and it, it brings out the little academic in me again because it's still in there somewhere but <laughs> it doesn't get to come out that often in day-to-day life so yeah when i'm when i'm doing my stuff with with the young academy i get to get that bit of academia back again so yeah nice yeah nice so there's different networks for different things and yes i will say you can you can spend your life just being a member of things and that's something that's really good to do for a short period of time because you'll meet a lot of people and you know it 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 does a lot of things in terms of just like it builds your confidence just getting out and speaking to people and all that kind of stuff but then doing it too long you'll get knackered uh but also you won't get anything else done so yeah I will say, kind of choose some networks carefully and then mm-hmm. really go for it in those networks. But then I've there's about four or five other networks that I've been kind of a member of and I've had to kind of push to the side. And mm. one of them in particular, I think I'll probably come back to in, in future. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I wasn't quite there yet. Okay. Um, and it was it was 129 pounds a month. So mm. it's a it's a commitment. Yeah. And I didn't I wasn't using it, so there's no point. So yeah, yeah choose carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm. Well, I know that you've got stuff on this afternoon. I do. And yeah. um, I, I figured that we probably shouldn't burn ourselves out because I'd <laughs> love to have you back. And, mm. You know, several occasions I've loved speaking with you. Mm. Um, and it'd be good to get somebody as a, uh, a third guest as maybe well. Get, at maybe some get stage. Mitchin, yeah. That would be good. You can talk about just yeah, like for sure. what we've done in the gym. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that'd be really good. Mm. So, yeah. Ian, thanks so much for your time today. It's been yeah, awesome speaking with, with yeah. you, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a, very much, yeah. uh, a fascinating deep dive into cool. your background. I hope and, I didn't uh, go too much into games and stuff. No, <laughs> no, not whatsoever. No, it's, yeah. like I think it is really, really interesting, mm. and there's there's a lot of people who are mm. like massively into gaming, uh-huh. um, and maybe just one of the sort of fringe people. Mm. 
Um, but no, I'm going to make you buy still... Breath of the Wild. <laughs> You're going to buy it, just so you know. <laughs> That's one thing that will happen. So, yeah. Uh, just before you go, where can people find you? Uh, so I'm at LeBruce on Twitter, so just L-E-B-R-U-C-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use Instagram a lot, just Ian LeBruce, I-A-N-L-E-B-R-U-C-E. And then LinkedIn, if it's anything kind of work-related, just find me on LinkedIn. It's just my name. It's easy to find. And I post a lot of videos and content on there. So I do. I did an, exi- uh, an Ignite social series where I kind of go through a lot of the basics of questions that I get asked by clients a lot. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of videos about to come out. And they cover topics where I'll often start with the very basics. So one of the videos that's going to come out is just about SEO. So starting out with what is SEO? But then if you want to know really in-depth stuff, Mm -hmm. watch to the end. And then I'll start to talk about much more kind of serious stuff and more in-depth stuff. So there is is quite a range there. Um, And that's what a lot of the content I'm going to be posting soon. And like I said, I've actually done that one and I've got another one around keywords because the amount of times that clients are asking me some quite basic stuff around keywords, Mm -hmm. um, I almost want like a little fountain of knowledge where I just hold stuff and then... (laughs) When they send me a message asking about something, I can say, go here. Ta-da! Yeah. So that's kind of part of the reason why I'm doing that. But also it's just good to kind of get some content and get some of your knowledge out there. Yeah. So yeah. So 100%. if you want to watch those, find them. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, my friends, thanks, thanks very much. much for your time. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Awesome.